This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Unbelievably, Matt is making good on his promise to show us that this world is a better place than our social media feeds might indicate. So today on MSP, we have a lot of algae, some moss, quantum universes, childrens, and magnets. So yes, it's time to get your feel good on. So Matt, where are we going today? Are you going to start us off with the physics or food. Hey Jeff, I am going to start us off with a couple of food stories. Uh, I'll leave the stuff that's mentally hard to swallow until a little bit later. Mm. Now we often hear about uh, fad diets being the latest thing to help us lose weight and keep us in shape. And as we talked about a few shows ago, diets on their own often make very little difference to your weight in the long term because the body adjusts the calories coming in and adjusts the way it burns and stores energy. But it turns out that the ketogenic diet could be having unintended and quite profound health benefits for people with certain long-term illnesses. For for people who don't know, the ketogenic diet essentially restricts carbs and calories and promotes a mixture of protein and fats to derive from energy from. Yeah, that's right. So it's uh, like a more extreme version of the Atkins diet that was popular a few few years ago. Now, you'll find loads of keto influencers mm. on social media. You know, it seems to be wildly popular with a, a subsection of fitness freaks. What wasn't perhaps anticipated was the effect it might have for migraine sufferers. And it's something else that underscores that despite all the advances we make, how poorly we understand the way our own bodies and especially our brains still work. So don't tell me you ran a little test. Uh, No, I left that question in from last week. And um, (laughs) no, I didn't. Uh, I know I have a slightly fast and loose reputation when it comes to experimenting with humans. But my line is drawn a long way before we get to chronic migraines. Besides, I signed a Hippocratical Oath statement at my online medical university. You mean a Hippocratic Oath? Uh, No, it was one of those 90% off until midnight, no money back type (laughs) offers. So I think it really was a hypocritical oath. Can you really call yourself a doctor? Um, On land, only in the Republic of Sealand. But (laughs) once I'm in or over international waters, pretty much anything goes. Fascinating and insane. But how does that bring up back to keto diets? Fascinating and insane was what my psychiatrist used to call me (laughs) until I persuaded him to uh, fly to a medical conference in Sealand where I used my credentials to have him committed. Now he sends me messages every week telling me how sane I am, possibly the most sane person who's ever lived, (laughs) and asking me when I'm coming to get him. Um, Okay, so back to the keto diets. The next bit is actually a little bit unbelievable. um, And I think I may have started us down the path towards erosion of trust with that last bit. Um, Researchers at the Don Carlo Gnocchi Foundation. And and I'll just jump in here. Matt is telling the truth. Don Carlo Gnocchi is a famous figure in Italy. Uh, Yes, thank you. A voice of truth. Um, (laughs) Research on uh, low carb diets at an institution named for a type of pasta is always going to sound a little bit suspect. But 
The potential of keto diets to reduce migraines has been hinted at anecdotally. What wasn't known was whether it was because of the fats or because of the low carbs. So far, there's only been a, a limited study. They've done it, I think, with 35 individuals, uh, male and female, all overweight and, of course, suffering from migraines. They were divided into two controlled groups, uh, randomly assigned one of two diets, um, both very low calorie, but only one of them ketogenic. And after two weeks, weight loss was very similar in both control groups. But the ketogenic group, 74% of that group experienced about half as many migraines as they would normally. Mm. Uh, contrast that with the best anti-migraine drugs on the market, which have a similar effectiveness in only about 30 to 48% of users. Why do they think that the ketogenic diet has had this effect? Well, obviously, more research needs to be done. Uh, as I said, you know, this is a very small test mm. group. Uh, Cherubino Di Lorenzo, again, I'm not making that name up. Um, he's the man heading the research, says that in animal studies, forcing the body to burn fat rather than carbohydrates has been shown to reduce or slow brain inflammation. And this in turn helps to suppress the kind of electrical waves that we associate with migraines. So it's plausible that the same thing is happening in humans. It also may have something to do with the way that the human body produces insulin, which has also been causally linked to migraine. So should migraine sufferers try this out then? Well, I think it's important to get medical advice. And, you know, that's mm. coming from me, not a doctor. <laughs> um, low calorie diets are not suited to everyone. And there is generally a limit in terms of how long the body can sustain them. Because if you're burning fat, there comes a point at which there's no longer any fat to burn. Now, I don't know all the details, but depleting fat deposits too far can compromise your health and immune system because, again, you don't have those reserves of fat fuel to, to call on for the body to fight off uh, illness. So in case your doctor isn't aware of these studies, um, though I guess if you're already suffering from chronic migraines, you're probably seeing a specialist, just look for the articles to take with you. Uh, the paper came out in a journal called Nutrients, and I got this article from the New Scientist. So we'll put the uh, the links in our show notes. There you go. Dr. Matt, saving the world one chronic condition at a time. As I think I mentioned, I can't legally be called a doctor, <laughs> even for radio or podcast use. Uh, you can call me maestro if you like. I think I'll pass on that. Uh, so you mentioned that you had two food-related stories. Yes, the second one, um, algae. Mm. Green, slippy, sloppy, slimy stuff. I have to stop writing sentences <laughs> with lots of S's in them. Uh, we talk about a lot of future foods on the show. Most of them turn out to be fairly disgusting. Mm -hmm. Algae is probably one of the less disgusting, and that kind of shows you how disgusting most of the others actually are uh, a lot of us have been eating algae for a long time anyway mm. uh, seaweed is a pretty common food these days and i'm sure that more than a couple of our listeners had spirulina in their protein shakes this morning apart from the slime which i know appeals to you what makes algae such great food well firstly that it's very high in omega-3 fatty oils and it's very nutrient dense there's a surprising amount of protein in algae as well and let's not forget fish aren't producing those uh, omega-3 oils that we eat them for mm. they're absorbing them from the algae and seaweed that they eat or from eating fish that absorb absorbed them from the algae and seaweed they ate <laughs> before being eaten. Uh, it's called the Circle of Pike. Um, and it is incredibly versatile. I don't think the listeners are going to take the versatility of slime on your say-so. 
Well, I guess, but it's practically <laughs> the staple diet on Sealand, um, where I am not only a medical doctor, but also a lord, an offshore financial <laughs> advisor, mm. and a wizard, right. um, because I make money disappear. I'm not so good at bringing it back, though. It's versatile because there are thousands of different strains of algae, ranging from um, inedible and poisonous to completely tasteless. And that makes it perfect as a food additive. But mostly what makes it great is that it's very easy to manufacture, to produce. Some of our listeners who have a more casual relationship to the cleanliness of their home or office may actually be raising algae around them with completely no effort. All right, with my legal hat head on now, I should actually point out to listeners and also actually indeed anyone should not attempt to eat inadvertent algae cultures. I definitely um, <laughs> leave the taste testing to the experts. Uh, but because it cultures so fast and because it grows in very inhospitable conditions, you know, you can find algae in freshwater, it'll grow in mm. seawater, it grows in high temperatures and low temperatures, and it grows very, very quickly. So it's relatively low impact, it doesn't need much looking after, it doesn't require huge tracts of land, and it doesn't lead to the depletion of fish stocks in the sea. So you're going to tell us that it can be grown in vets like all your favourite foods, aren't you? Uh, well, there are lots of agritech startups working <laughs> in this field, and yes, some of them are raising algae cultures in laboratory conditions, in vats, as you mentioned. Other startups are actually culturing it in the deserts of places like Texas, mm. which comes back to what I was say saying about it being suited to extremely inhospitable environments. It's probably for the same combination of reasons, um, you know, it's fast, it's low maintenance, that the US Army has been looking into algae cultivation as a way for forward operations bases that are hard to resupply to produce their own biofuels. And now it's possible that those same or similar materials can also generate food as well. Okay, so before we take a break, I believe we're going to stick with the mossy angle this time we're heading to New Zealand? That's right. I'm Dr. Matt in Sealand and <laughs> Mr. Matt in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, this actually links to the previous story, uh, notably that not everything produced by nature is going to be good for you. Uh, one of the reasons I like doing this show is because I get to say sentences that I don't think people say on air very often. In this case, sexy pavement lichen, uh, or lichen if you prefer it the British way. Um, lichen lichen is a type of algae, and sexy pavement lichen, or uh, Xenthopamelia scabrosa, which Siri hates me saying, contains a compound that is very similar to the active ingredient in the erectile dysfunction drug, Viagra. So another natural Viagra? I know. I mean, as though there aren't enough of those already. <laughs> but yes, that's how it's being marketed. But in New Zealand, it grows naturally on mm. roads and sidewalks. So the moss is being ground up to a powder and sold online as this herbal Viagra type supplement. And you're telling people not to take it? Well, yes. You know, one of the advantages of things that are grown in laboratories is that they're unlikely to be contaminated or less likely to be contaminated. Uh, other compounds in the lichen may be toxic to humans. We don't really know to what extent because 
there hasn't been a lot of research done so far. It can also absorb high levels of heavy metals like copper and lead, which we know shouldn't be consumed. And laboratory tests of some of the uh, samples found on online trading sites have discovered all kinds of other pollutants, including bird and animal feces. Mm. Uh, because, you know, as every parent has told their child a hundred times, <laughs> you don't eat things that have fallen on the pavement. And that has to go double for things that can actually <laughs> grow on it. So things you should and you shouldn't eat. Uh, after the break, could Matt's magnetic personality inhabit multiple universes? What am I saying? I have no idea, but stick around. BFM 89.9. You're listening to Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. Because friends matter. BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. And we're back. It is Fun Friday with me together with uh, Culture Pops, Matt Armitage. So during the break, uh, Matt whipped out a delicious bowl of Algal Bloom that is now sitting in BFM's pantry area. So we'll update you next week to see if it's still there. You could actually put a time-lapse camera on it. You know, <laughs> how hungry do you have to be to eat slime? You could even make it pay-per-view. Yeah, so before the break, we both referred to the sexy pavement lichen as a moss. So you do know that mosses and lichens are unrelated, right, man? Well, until I was researching them for sexy purposes, <laughs> um, no, I didn't. And thank you for pointing it out, you know, before we broke the internet with that terrible mistake. It's a very important distinction, um, one that has a really complicated wiki explanation, <laughs> and it's further um, confused or confounded by the fact that some lichens are given familiar names that include the, the word moss. Um, but it is important because moss is something that could help to make our cities less polluted. We should have called this show Armitage on algae. Well, I didn't plan it this way, <laughs> but I, it does make a change from all the outer space stories. So a, a German company has been installing moss walls across European cities as a way to reduce air pollution. It's calling the walls city trees, and the company locates them at places like bus stops and on uh, busy streets where there's a large flow of pedestrians. So far, they've installed about 50 of the walls across Europe, and they've attracted funding from the European Commission. They're not cheap, though. Um, each wall of moss hmm. costs around 60,000 US dollars because it includes the irrigation system, which works with rainwater, um, and the solar, power, uh, so solar panels rather that are used to power fans that increase the circulation of air across the surface of the moss. So essentially, the moss does what trees do. They absorb and trap pollutants. Yeah, although it seems that moss is a lot more efficient at trapping those harmful chemicals than a lot of species mm. of tree, um, perhaps as much as four times as effective as many of those species um, because moss is so dense and there are so many fibres, each of which can trap uh, these tiny pollution molecules. Is this real or is it high-profile greenwash? Well, the science behind it is definitely real. Uh, whether or not the city trees deliver on the promise is perhaps more debatable. Oddly, they might be more effective at cleaning the air in closed spaces like the interior of buildings because less air is flowing through uh, a room or building than, of course, in the open air. So you could describe it as a last resort for heavily polluted cities? I think in a sense, you know, redesigning cities so that there are a lot more trees and green spaces is likely to be more effective. Uh, moss walls will absorb these 
pollutants, but they won't do a lot else. Trees provide shade. They uh, can help to reduce summertime urban temperatures. And that, in turn, helps to reduce energy use in the surrounding buildings. You know, trees, grass, flowers, bushes, they can improve the quality of life for residents and provide habitat that allows wildlife to proliferate. That said, um, the same thing as with the algae stories, don't use this as a reason not to clean your bathroom. Uh, that moss wall will probably not bring you much in the way of health benefits. From mosses to magnets. Yeah, the only link I could think of there was alliteration, although I suppose pollution would have been the, the more obvious one. Now, we're bombarded with horror stories about the spread of microplastics through our ecosystem, mm. uh, although the uh, uh, World Health Organization has just announced that the health risk to humans from microplastics in water is actually very low. Whether people believe that, I don't know. Mm. Uh, I think another report I read this week or last week suggested that we may even be breathing microplastics in the air. As the plastics break down, particles can become airborne and get carried huge distances by the wind. So magnets could turn out to be our saviour in the battle against microplastics, at least when it comes to those plastics in water. Mm -hmm. uh, researchers at the University of Adelaide have been working on a way to dissolve microplastics that you find in the sea. You know, the great thing about these shows is that the less plausible something sounds, the more likely it is to be true. Yeah, yeah? I know. That's cool, <laughs> right? You know, if I told someone I had an idea for dropping magnets into the sea to dissolve plastic, I'd be dismissed as some kind of new age crank. Uh, thankfully, the, stories on the, uh, the story here is from the new scientist, which is largely devoid of new age cranks. <laughs> So what happens is that microscopic metal coils are dropped into the water along with a chemical called uh, peroxymonosulfate. And this creates a chemical reaction that helps to break down the plastics into just water. And where does the magnetism fit in? Well, this is actually the clever bit. Not that the microcoils <laughs> aren't clever, they are. Mm. Um, but one thing you don't want to do is drop millions and millions of metal coils into the oceans because you're just swapping plastic pollution for microcoil pollution. <laughs> Magnetism allows you to recover the coils. So you wave a larger magnet over the surface of the water and the uh, coils float up to the surface. And of mm. course, you can just scoop them up. I don't know if they can be reused, but you can certainly then remove them from the environment. Is it a good to go technology? Well, right now, the water has to be heated to very high temperatures, uh. which probably makes it unsuited for the open seas in its current form. So I think the next stage is probably going to be to develop and adapt it for industrial use, uh, say for the outflow pipes in water treatment plants or other places that disgorge large quantities of water into our rivers and seas. All right, moving on. I do believe there's a story about parallel universes that you want to talk about. Actually, there's a story about parallel universes that I don't want to talk <laughs> about. So regular listeners will know that my grasp of physics is shaky <laughs> at good times and most of the times it's roughly on a par with the golden retrievers so two physicists uh, mordecai vagel and uh, calvin mcqueen at the chapman university in california have come up with a proof to determine uh, that there are scores or thousands or even millions of me spread across parallel universes wait you mean countless versions of everyone I mean, that's theoretically true, but obviously a lot less interesting. Um, I'm looking for the world that is entirely populated by me. An entire world to yourself? 
No, better than that, a world whose inhabitants are all versions of me. I mean, just imagine what they could achieve. An awful lot of Netflix watching and a version of Friends where you all are the same characters? I know. Do you see how perfect it sounds? Um, I think I've been watching too much Big Bang Theory. I'm absorbing too much Sheldon. All right, so how does this parallel universe thing work? Okay, well, that's the problem bit because my (laughs) ability to pass physics is really not up to the job of explaining this. So you might want Mm. to Google the story for yourself. Uh, The physicists concede that their proof may be very difficult to empirically test, although one of them does think that it may be possible to detect the moment when we make a choice or a decision and the world splits off into different outcomes of that puzzle. Mm. So it may be possible to measure the moment when essentially a new universe comes into existence, which is pretty much mind-blowing. But we certainly don't have the equipment to do it now, and he concedes that we may never actually do so. But one thing is for certain, in one of the parallel universes, Matt was able to perfectly explain how this theory works. (laughs) At the top of the show, we promised everyone children, so what have you got? Well, I am a well-known child sceptic. You can't be a child sceptic. They exist. You can't just decide that they don't. Don't worry. I know they exist. Believe me, I've run the thought experiments and I haven't found a way to disappear them yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sceptical about the value of having them. So a new study at Heidelberg University in Germany has been trying to get to the bottom of the, uh, the statement that people are happier if they have children. You know, the idea that being a parent makes you a happier person. And you are pleased to announce that it doesn't. I'm actually sorry to say that it does. Um, (laughs) A researcher called Christoph Becker at Heidelberg University analysed data from 55,000 people aged 50 and older about their emotional well-being. And it turns out that people who are parents are happier with their lives and suffer less from conditions like depression than older adults, like myself, who are childless. Like you then. So there has to be a twist to this or not. You wouldn't have been bringing this up. Well, yeah, there is a caveat. Um, The parents in this age group were only happier if the kids were gone. Um, They'd (laughs) left home, you know, vamos, disparu. Um, More research is needed to determine why, but the theory seems to be that they have a sense of satisfaction from having brought the kids up, coupled uh, with a reduction in day-to-day stress levels once the kids actually leave Mm. uh, because they're no longer caring for them emotionally and financially in the same way. And in fact, the kids may be supporting their parents in some way. And of course, the parents suddenly have a lot more social and free time, which kind of mirrors my own parenting philosophy, which is to give the kids away when they're babies and get them back (laughs) when they're adults. So it's profit rather than loss. Unfortunately, I haven't quite managed to convince any sociologists that this is a valid field of study. There you have it. Matt's guide to a happy life is eat algae, clean your bathroom and let wolves raise your children. So all the links to today's stories and transcripts of the show can be found at culturepop.com. It's culture with a K. We'll be right back with Geek Squawks after this. BFM 89.9. Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. To learn more, visit tm1.com.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.